Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome back. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you so much, Siegfried and Jensen, for your trust in me and your belief in me and sponsoring this. And it means so much to me. I also like to thank uh, our other sponsor, Veracity Networks. Thank you as well for believing in me. And uh, thank you for tuning in week after week. We're blown up and it's amazing. And it's because of the amazing guests I've had on who have come on and they're vulnerable. They talk about their own struggles and things like that. And, and more importantly, just we're all the same. We all have a story and we're all trying to get through this life. And today we have Alan Richards. He goes by Al. Al, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you, Todd, for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So, so Al has actually got his own podcast called The Other Side of Addiction. He's just kind of getting it started, but uh, there's a reason why you call it The Other Side of Addiction. Will you tell us that real quick? Yeah, the reason why it's called the other side of the addiction is because I'm the one who has lived on the other side of addiction. So, yes. um, a lot of a lot of AA meetings I used to go to with my wife to give yeah. her support. You know, a lot of the guests that they had, really all of the guests that they had were people who had battled the addiction. Right. And I would look around the room and go, "Well, there's a lot of loved ones, family members and friends. We go through it as well." Yeah. You know, so, yeah. no, no, thank you. That's awesome. And, you know, I've, I've done, I've had a lot of people on this podcast who have, have been, been through their own addiction and overcome it. I've had a few, but not very many people on the other side of it. And so I'm real excited, Al, to have you on. Um, a little background on Al. He grew up in West Jordan, Utah. Um, he was blessed with two amazing and beautiful daughters, Megan and Ariel. Um, he's also, uh, been blessed with, uh, some grandkids. You don't, you don't look old enough to be a grandpa, but, yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, you got some grandkids. Yeah. Three, three <laughs> incredible grandkids. Yeah. They're amazing. Wow. So you've also dabbled a little bit in acting. Um, I was reading that and I was like, wow, that's really cool. You're on a Hallmark film called Christmas tree lane. Um, you're also on the, the second season of the chosen where you played a Roman soldier and you do. If you don't know Al, if you can't, you can't see him, but he's built pretty good. <laughs> he looks pretty strong, so I could see you being one of those for sure. And you're also on a few commercials and things like that. But, but ultimately, we're here to talk about how, what it's like to live on the other side of addiction. Your wife has struggled with alcoholism, and that put you down a dark path. And I can't wait to, to, to have you share what that was and, and kind of how you dealt with it and overcame that as well. So okay. why don't we start, Al, with... Tell us where you grew up and uh, tell us a little bit about your childhood. Well, I grew up in, in West Jordan, as uh, you mentioned earlier. My parents moved out there when I was, geez, I think about nine years old. Um, kind of a different time of my life. I, I was just battling a disease. I had a disease in my hip as a little boy called Perthes. It's like a form of a polio. Okay. And the doctors told my parents I was probably never going to walk again, but oh, my wow. parents chose not to tell me. And... Um, after my surgery, a few months after that, um, I was out walking and playing just like a normal nine-year-old boy. And, and for anybody that grew up here in Salt Lake City back in 1971, 72, and they knew West Jordan, it was all farm. It right. was just covered yeah. with alfalfa fields, <laughs> wheat fields. 
So I spent a lot of time playing in the canal ditches, irrigation ditches. <laughs> uh, my buddy and I, we right. used to like to watch or walk the canal ditches um, just to flush pheasants and try to throw dirt clods at them and try to hit them. And yeah, we tried it for dirt years. Clods. Yeah, dirt clods. Yeah, we, we had dirt clod fights. You know, that ton. brings back so many memories, that word <laughs> dirt clod. Yeah. I mean, think about it, a dirt clod, and yeah. that's what we used to do, too. We used to throw dirt clods. Well, you know, I mean, they still hurt if they hit you, but not oh, as yeah. hard as a rock. Yeah, that's true. No, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I came from a family, um, had two brothers, or not two brothers, a brother and a sister. We're all seven years apart, which is kind of weird. So I was seven when my brother was born, and I was 14 when my sister was born. Um, not... Not a lot of love in the family. I, I don't think very often I heard I love you, you know, in the family. Okay. Um, but, you know, every family's different. Sure. But, uh, yeah, just enjoyed growing up out there. Ended up uh, going to Bingham High School. West Jordan High School wasn't built at the time. Okay. Graduated in 81 from Bingham. And in 81 is when West Jordan High School oh, okay. opened up. But uh, hung out with seven, seven incredible guys where we all hung out which was kind of weird and and you probably hear this quite a bit with with what you do but uh yeah there was four of us who were the big partiers always going to the keggers and drinking the beer and you know having a few doobies and things like that Uh and the other guys were very lds so they always took care of us they always drove us home and of course back in those days even if you did drive home usually at one or two o'clock in the morning there wasn't any cars on the road because there was nothing out there yeah there's nothing out especially kind of out west (laughs) oh yeah right (laughs) yeah yeah there wasn't anything but yeah. yeah So, yeah, so it sounds like you had a mixture of friends, and, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's pretty common. You're right. Like, you know, you had the kids who partied, and some of these kids who who didn't party were like, well, I'll drive you. We'll take care of you. Yeah. We'll make sure you get home. And I had several friends like that, too, growing up that, hey, we'll make sure you get home. We got a place to stay kind of thing. And so that's kind of cool. So were you involved in anything like, you know, clubs or sports in school or anything like that that you got involved I, I with? I was in the minor men club. Okay. Which was pretty cool. So we'd do some crazy things at basketball games. You know, like <laughs> yeah. we went to uh, the 4A championship once up at the University of Utah, and, and all of us dressed up in togas and cowboy boots, nice. which was kind of weird. Yeah. They ended up kicking us out, unfortunately. Really? But, but we took our clothes with us, so we were just went out in the parking lot and changed our clothes. Uh, sports-wise, I was big into baseball. I okay. loved loved playing baseball. Um was trying to get on the baseball team <clears throat> for for the high school, but mm-hmm. you know politics unfortunately take over quite a bit mm-hmm. in those sports. Sure, but yeah. uh, a bunch of us misfits actually got a soccer team started at Bingham High School, which oh, right the on. school said they didn't even want it, and we had a lot of the kids sign petitions so we could get a team. And of course, they didn't fund us or didn't really support us, but. Um, it was really cool being a part of the yeah. soccer team, and kind of we're the ones that there. built it, and now yeah. soccer is huge out at Bingham. I mean, they have over 100 kids for tryouts, and they've won a couple of championships, and yeah. and uh, I was fortunate enough to be asked to come back and talk to the kids about how soccer got started at Bingham High School no with our old assistant coach, who no used to be way. a teacher there, but that was <laughs> that awesome. was pretty pretty yeah, cool. I mean, that they, is way cool. They even asked how many kids tried out, and we're like, tryouts? We didn't have tryouts. It was the same misfit kids every year. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, you're playing, come yeah, on. Yeah, you're playing, you're, you're, yeah. Put your books down, let's go. And, and we were all different. <laughs> I mean, it was so diversified, is that the right word for it? But uh, sure. We we were a team. I mean, everybody yeah. backed everybody up, so it was really cool. Well, it's almost like it, not necess- it was more of a cause. 
Yeah. You guys had a purpose, like, no, we're going to do this. And yep. that's got to kind of be surreal. You, you're now going back talking to the team and saying, this is how it all started. That's got to got to make you feel pretty good. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, and it, the funny part was is I, I told the story that uh, when we would travel to go to other high schools to play them, we were the only team that didn't have warm-up jerseys. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, they had the sweatpants yeah, they're and all the jacket out and, and everything, and we're the only ones that didn't because <laughs> the school didn't support us. And these other mm. schools like Alta and Brighton, they, you know, they supported them. Right. Well, our coach played professional soccer. And he was working as a correctional officer out at the point of the mountain, Utah State Prison. Right. And he was the correctional officer for the prisoners who were, you know, fairly good prisoners. So one day he showed up with a couple boxes and we're like, what's this? Well, the prisoners made us all uniforms, which we thought was the coolest, coolest thing. It's like, matter of our our outfits, our warm-up outfits were made from the prisoners, which was really neat. But then the... The prisoners were so good, our coach was able to get them off for like a release type thing. Oh, really? And I remember no like way. it was yesterday. <laughs> we're playing Brighton High School, and this bus pulls up that's blue, and it said Utah State Correctional on it. No and way. all these prisoners come walking out, and you should have seen the, the faces on the other parents. Oh, from I can the imagine. Yeah. They're like, what is going on? And all these prisoners <laughs> came over and lined up on our side. <laughs> You're the kidding. Field. They were like our cheerleader section. It was the funniest thing. Dude. But uh, yeah, they, they sat out there and cheered us on, roots on for the whole game. And then as soon as the game was over, they were back on the bus and head no back out way. to the prison. Wow. That's yeah. like in a, what you see in the movies, man. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. That is like the, the longest cool. yard, right? Yes. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I'm like, wow, there's yeah. a movie about this, isn't there? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. I was can imagine neat. the other players going, what is going on here? <laughs> Are these guys coming to get us? What's going on? That is so yeah. neat. What a great story. Yeah, that was really neat. That's uh, yeah, something I'll never forget. Oh yeah, I don't, yeah, that's that's truly amazing. And and you're right. I mean, I, soccer's big everywhere, but to to be on the beginning of that back in the, you know, was that the early '80s? That was actually the late '70s. Late '70s. Okay. Yeah. So it was uh, our junior year when we got the team okay. going. So you're talking '78, '79. Yeah. And, wow. Okay. And we actually went to the championship our first year. <laughs> yeah, we we got knocked out the first round, but we still made it to the championship. So no way. we were really excited. That yeah. is, that's amazing. Well, you know, obviously, you know, I I know that you have this passion now for helping people, and it kind of goes back to the, that's what you were doing there. You were trying to make a difference. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I would imagine people who know you say, "Hey, that's who Al is. He's trying to make a difference," and that's what I'm I'm really touched by, honestly, because this is you know, the world that I've been in for forever, this addiction recovery world. And, you know, you've been on in it as well, but in a different capacity. You know, your wife has struggled with alcoholism. And, you know, I know that took you down this really, you know, dark path. So I'd love to have you share that story with us and kind of what that all entailed and what that looked like. And then, you know, and why, how that's led to what you're doing today. Well, um, you know, probably as you even know, Todd, God works in mysterious ways. I mean, he, yeah. he really does. He takes us down paths that sometimes we shake our head at going, why are we going through this? And then one day right. you wake up and you realize why you're going through it. Yeah. But um, it all started, geez, I think coming up this July, I guess it's probably about 13 years ago. I worked for a manufacturing plant here in Salt Lake. And um, that's where I met my wife. 
she worked out as accounts payable and and uh, we started dating dating for a while dated for three years decided to get married in um, may of 2009 okay 2009 was the year that life changed completely so may of 2009 we got married I decided to try marriage one more one more time. Thought she was a great. Mm-hmm. And then in July of 2009, I lost my job. And then August of 2009, she lost her father from an overdose. Oh, wow. And then it was about six or seven months after that, we ended up losing our house. So... Wow. Things things got things got pretty bad in 2009 and and I knew a little bit of, of her history, her yeah. past history, you know that she had some bad relationships. She was teased a lot when she was a kid. And I was teased a lot when I was a kid too, being crippled and things like that. I had like the Forrest Gump brace on and things oh, did like you really? that. But you know, we all react differently yeah. with tragedies in life. Some people can put it in the back of their brains and never think of it again, or maybe something might trigger it and it just comes right. for just a short period of time. Right. For my wife, it wasn't like that. Um, she just, you know, it just, it stayed with her. Yeah. And um, I, I remember before we lost our house, we would always have parties on the weekends over at our house. And my garage was set up with, with TV and and dartboard and stereo and we had a fireplace in the backyard and we'd have friends come over and family and we'd play cards and and I started noticing that she just wasn't mixing drinks anymore and just having a few drinks she was literally grabbing the bottle and just start drinking right out of the bottle and Mm. that's when I started noticing hey there's something more that's going on and I talked to her about it a little bit and we would get in some heated discussions you know about it and then it got to where she kept going out in the garage and I'm like well that's not like her so one day I let her go out in the garage and I kind of snuck around and looked and she's digging underneath some stuff and that's when I know she was starting to hide bottles Mm. and I'm like okay now this isn't good yeah that's when I knew that a problem was really starting to happen but after we lost our house we we didn't have the money to really get a place, so we lived um, in the basement, a friend's house. We had some really good friends that opened up their home to us and right. and let us stay, not paying any rent. Of course, we had to help out with groceries and things. But, sure. You know, it was it was a rough two years. My wife started not being able to hold a job because she got to where she wouldn't go in. You know, she'd rather sit home and and um, basically depressed. Right. You know, um, feel sorry for herself, which we all do at times. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just on again, off again jobs. And the financial burden started kind of coming on, on to me. And um, she started going to some rehabs, different things like that. But um, yeah, it just started getting bad. She, the drinking, it was, yeah. it just wasn't on a weekend anymore or at five o'clock. You know, normally it was five o'clock. It was time to have a drink. It yeah. was like nine o'clock in the morning. It, I mean, it didn't matter. So, wow. So again, that that year two thousand nine, like you mentioned, was just a really very trying year. Yeah. I mean, all of that yeah. stuff, even just you know, getting married and all that in itself is a very stressful thing. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing, but it can be very stressful at the same time because now there's a lot of responsibility that comes after that. And, mm-hmm. but then you, you know, losing the job and things like that. And then her losing her father. I mean, that is a pretty heavy load for anybody. Like you said, Yeah, you know, 
Yeah, and, and I could have <clears throat> I could have went the other direction as well, you know. And what's what's funny is I was more of a partier than she was, mm. you know. I I had a lot of um, a lot of responsibility at my job and a lot of stress, and I spent my Fridays and Saturdays partying my butt off, and then Sunday I'd clean myself back up and then be ready for work. and And it's like we we switched roles. Um, I started trying to figure out who I wanted to be as a person and started mm-hmm. looking at life a little differently. And she went from being this person that was going to church every Sunday and, and, you know, she knew more about scriptures and the church and things than I did. Mm -hmm. And it's all of a sudden like we just did this complete flip, you know, I took the tragedy to figure out who I wanted to be and where I wanted to go. And she took the tragedy the, the other way. And I think really it's just everything just piled up on top of her, which was already on top of her in the first place. Right. You know, uh, I hear this a lot from people where, you know, they have a a spouse or a son or a daughter who's struggling. But, you know, in this case, obviously it's your spouse. People always say, well, what can I do? What can I say to him? Is there anything I can do? And so I'm wondering, what were the thoughts going through your mind when you're seeing her going through this? And was, is there was there anything that you could do? Meaning, I mean, you can say things, you can do certain things, but at the end of the day, she's an adult. And I mean, how did you get through that part of it? Because so many people struggle with that. Like, what can I tell this person? What am I going to say that will change them? And it's like, well, I, there is no magic answer to that. So I'm just curious on how you handled that. Cause that can be very, very, I guess, frustrating and, and sometimes disappointing. It's very disappointing. You know, um, I've shared this on my podcast as well, that I was going to be that knight riding in on a stallion and shining armor and jump <laughs> off my horse. And here I am to save you, my lady. And, and it doesn't work. I mean, everything that I tried, you know, I would sit down and say, do you realize you're destroying your life? Do you realize what you're doing to me? You're breaking my heart or you're, you're causing us financial hardship. And Basically, whenever you start saying these type of things to somebody that's battling addiction, yeah, they've already got daggers in them. You're just yeah. throwing more. Yeah, you're just adding to the daggers. But you don't yeah. realize it. Yeah. You don't realize it. As a person that's on the other side, all you're wanting to do is help, and that's the only way that you know how to help. It's it's almost kind of like disciplining your kid, you know, mm-hmm. in, in a way. Right. And, um, yeah, it didn't matter what I tried. And I did the same things over and over and over for seven years. I mean, and you would think after the first year you'd you'd get a clue and go, well, this ain't working, mm-hmm. but that's all you know, right? You know, and there's programs out there. There's like Al-Anon and some different, mm-hmm. but for somebody like myself, Todd, that Al-Anon didn't work for me. You know, right. I tried to, you know, two or three meetings, and I just felt like that I was going there. I was the only one that had a spouse. Everybody else had kids. Oh, interesting. And. Yeah. To me, I was already walking in there with a two-ton weight on my shoulders, and then it felt like by the time I left, I had 10 tons on top of my yeah, Because wow. you just listen to everybody's story, story, story. and yeah. the heartache and the pain that everybody's dealing with. And nothing against Al-Anon because it has helped thousands and thousands for of people. Sure. I mean, yeah. for sure. So yeah. I'm not knocking Al-Anon down. It just didn't work for me. Yeah, it's not for everyone. And yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, in all honesty, to answer it, I didn't handle it the right way at all, period. Okay. And I'm learning, people on the other side will never understand 
the addiction. We we never will. We can understand a little bit of it and sure. parts of it, mm-hmm. but I feel like we will never fully understand what somebody's going through that's battling with this. Because yeah. I've I've told the story before. Um, you know, people that battle depression or anxiety. You know, there's medications that they can take that help them cope right. cope with that. Yeah. People who don't battle, it's just like what's what the heck's wrong with you just get up and walk out the door with a smile on your face there's nothing wrong out there in the world (laughs) well somebody who's bound on it that's not that easy yeah you know um somebody that has an addiction like my wife's alcoholism you know even if i wanted to go home and have a drink and decided when i got home now i'm really not interested well somebody like my wife they constantly got that finger thumping them on top of the head going no you gotta have this because if you don't you're mm-hmm. not going to be able to make it through the night yeah. and all that anxiety starts building up and mm-hmm. pretty soon for some reason that we will never understand they fall back towards it and that's yeah. their escape wow yeah that's so true how you say that you know i was thinking we have a, a therapist here named wendy she's our clinical director and she has probably the best definition of of addiction and it's the perpetual avoidance of legitimate suffering So I'm going to say that again, the perpetual avoidance of legitimate suffering. So, see your, your wife and and you too, but we're going to just talk about your wife and especially in 2009 went through a really rough time. Mm -hmm. That is legitimate suffering. Meaning you, you lose a job, you lose a loved one. That's out of our control. Right. It just is. And that's when life kind of throws the curveball, but that's legitimate in the sense that it's part of life. We have to sit through that. But what we do as addicts is we avoid it. We perpetually avoid it. Like, and what do we do? We drink it away. We try to pop a pill. We try to do this. Avoid that suffering. Yeah. What happens is that suffering's there just brewing. So as soon as you, like you just said, and this is why I thought of it, as soon as you get somewhat cleaned up or sober, there's that, like you said, that finger thumping you on the head going, okay, do you want to deal with this suffering now? Yeah. Do you want to? <laughs> and it's like, oh, no. So what do we do? We go back to drinking again. Yep. And and that doesn't mean that they're weak people or this or that, but that's sometimes what we do. And and where that's where people like when you look at it that way, it kind of puts it in better perspective. I really just that definition just I think spells it out perfectly. Yeah, it does. You know? <clears throat> I like I like how that is said. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you talk about a little bit, you know, you went into some dark places. If you wouldn't mind sharing some of those and okay. just kind of, you know, how, what, where you went and then how you kind of got yourself out of those things. Well, um, <clears throat> just to kind of start from the point to, to get there. Yeah. So my wife's drinking got pretty heavy, but um, she finally woke up and she realized what was going on and she did get clean for 13 months. Mm-hmm. The 13 months was incredible. Our relationship was actually better than it was before we even got married. Right, I mean, right. it was just mm-hmm. awesome. And then one day she decided to take a drink, and that's when her whole life imploded as along with mine. Um, she ended up getting her first DUI shortly after that first drink that she took after 13 months okay. sober. Wow. Then a couple of weeks after that, she got pulled over on driving on a suspended license. And then not too long after that, um, I had gotten so upset coming home, found her really, really drunk, couldn't deal with it. I had a friend who was running a hotel, and she hooked me up for a free night, and my wife come looking for me. Um, she figured out that I was there. 
They ended up calling the cops. Mm. Anyway, the cop was up in my room talking to me. He got a call that there was an accident. And as soon as I heard that come over his radio, I could just feel all the blood just rush right out of my face down to my feet. And I'm like, please don't let that be her. And the officer gets off and he says, what they just described to me, he says, I think it might be your wife. And I'm like, oh, no, oh, no. So he left. He got my phone number, and he says, I will call you and let you know. About 45 minutes later, I got a call, and um, he goes, Mr. Richards, it was your wife. And I'm like, please tell me she didn't hurt anybody or kill anybody or she didn't get hurt. And he goes, luckily, she just hit a parked car, ran into a parked car. Mm. It was not in a good neighborhood. Um, One of the cars she hit, I guess, was a car of a gang member. And she had some people trying to keep the gang members from grabbing her, pulling her out of her vehicle to beat on her. Luckily, the cops got there quick enough. But um, this is the kind of stuff I was was coming home to every day. Uh, You know, again, with the questions, how did I handle it? I handled it wrong every single time. I would get home. I would be so upset with things. I would start throwing more daggers at her right you know trying to tell her hey why don't you grow up and you know the stuff that happened to you back in elementary well you're you're an adult you know let right. it let it go sure um yeah it just it it just got to a point to where um i had the cops over all the time i was always calling the cops because either she was hitting on me or throwing things at me i couldn't deal with it um i was coming home from an event it'll be two years two years this June and I'm going to do my best not to get emotional over this because I usually do get emotional but yeah. <clears throat> I I had decided it at that time coming home from that event I was going to go home get my gun I was going to go up in the mountains and I was going to end my life because I could not deal walking home into a war zone every single flipping day yeah. and Luckily, luckily, I got a phone call on my way home, and I wish I could remember who this person was because I would thank them so much. <clears throat> when I when I hung up um, from that phone call, I had a screenshot on my phone at the time of my two daughters and my three grandkids. And as soon as I saw that picture, mm. I just broke down and started bawling. I pulled off the side of the road. I don't know how long I was there, but I just sat there and cried, thinking... I am thinking about taking my life because of what is happening in my personal life, what's yeah. happening at home, taking time away that my daughters have with their dad and time away that my grandkids have with their papa. And um, I have a, a friend. Um, she actually is retiring here pretty soon, but uh, she worked for the West Jordan Police, and she ran a program called the Peer Support Program where she helped a lot of our first responders. Okay. And so I called her up and I said, hey, this is what's going on. And I'm thinking about taking my life and what do I do? And she she was such a huge help for me. She's like, Al, this is what you need to do. Get yourself out of this situation. Go somewhere, go to a family member, go to a friend's, just pull yourself out of that situation and and we'll we'll go from there. And I took her advice and um, got myself out of the situation. And I was able to get back home pretty quick because um, they ended up finding my wife. She had a warrant out for arrest, and she ended up getting thrown back in jail. And so mm-hmm. I was able to come back home. But um, 
Wow. <clears throat> that's that's kind of what I kept everything in, Todd. I think a lot of times us on the other side of the addiction, we're embarrassed. We don't want to tell our family and friends that we have right. a, a, a son or a daughter or a husband or a wife or a grandchild or whatever that's battling addiction, no matter what the addiction is. It's almost embarrassing for us. And I I done a lot of networking because I've been involved with chambers. Yeah. And people who know me, I walk into a room, I am energetic, I'm hugging everybody, yeah. you know, high fives, shaking hands. I just love yeah. on people. Sure. But when people started pulling me off to the side going, you okay? Because mm. you don't seem like the same you. And, right. Because and, I, was, I was putting on a front. Yeah. I thought I was being the same me, but people <laughs> who really know me could see it. Could tell, yeah. So I finally decided it was time that the embarrassment was done. My family didn't even have a clue. And so I started talking to people, people that I felt like that I could trust, would meet for coffee, and I'd go, hey, okay, this is what's going on with me. And as I started sharing my story more and more, people that I've known for years were starting to pull me off to the side going, can I talk to you privately? And I'd be like, yeah, and we'd go off to yeah. the corner or somewhere in a right. different room, and they would be like, I don't know if you knew it, but I was an addict. Or I don't know if you knew it, but my son or my daughters battled this. Or yeah. I don't know if you knew it, but my mom was an alcoholic. And my, I don't know, it was just really blowing me away how bad addiction is. It's like they say cancer affects everybody, yeah. every family. Yeah, right. And, and it does. Of it, yeah. yeah. And addiction Addiction yeah. does the same the same thing. For it's, sure. When yeah. they say addiction is not an individual disease, it's definitely a family disease. Yeah, it affects every person every in, in different ways, as you said. Yeah. And, and then when you got people who notice, you know, Al's usually the life of the party. The guy's just got energy. Something's off. Yeah. What's going on? But what's also, I guess, kind of, kind of a blessing through all this is people coming up to you going, Hey, I've been there. Um, I've struggled, or you know, here's I'd like to talk to you about it and that kind of thing. And so now you got people reaching out to you f for those reasons, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's I mean, again, connection, right? You're connecting with people who understand. Well, and and that's what started me on this path. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I remember the first time my f my f one of my family members. So I'm on a um, a rodeo committee for West Jordan and have been for coming up on seven years, but. My aunt came to pick up some tickets that I had for her to invite my aunt and uncle to the rodeo. Oh, cool. And my aunt asked me, you know, how's your wife doing? And I just bawled. Uh, All of a sudden, I just busted out in tears, and she was like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Yeah, and I like, said, my wife's an alcoholic. That's the first time I shared it with a family member. Really? And I'm really close to my aunt. Okay. And just that question just... Yeah, I just the broke out yeah. bawling. But as I started sharing the story a little bit more, I was sitting down with coffee with a friend, and I was telling him my story, what had, what's been going on, what I was dealing yeah. with. Told him that I was thinking about, almost thought about taking my own life. And that's when he said, Al, you need to share this. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Why? why? He goes, because there are people out there that need to hear 
this because there's people out there that have gone through the same or are going through the same thing right. that you're going through. For sure. And I'm like, who would want to hear it? And he goes, who wouldn't? Right. So that's when the wheels started turning going, you know, maybe this is the reason why I've gone through everything that I've gone through, you know. Um, yeah. I'm a spiritual person and I've hit my knees many times. Yeah. whether you believe in God or a higher power, whatever it may be. But I remember asking God, why do I continue to go through this? You know, I've, I've started a divorce three times and I've canceled it three times because something has kept me there. Something's kept you, yeah. But I believe the reason why I've gone through it as much is because I wasn't getting it yet. And I think God was trying to get me to open my eyes. Yeah to say, you need to look at this in a different way. And five to six months ago, I think it was about six months ago, my eyes finally finally opened. Mm. And that's where now the change has, has gone 360. Wow. So it reminds me of a quote by Alan Watts. He says, when we're ready to wake up, we're going to wake up. If we're not ready to wake up, we're going to stay pretending that we're just a poor little me. And I really do believe this. I, you've probably heard me say this, Al, in some uh, previous events or podcasts where I think addiction is or or adversity, because on your side of things, is the wake-up call to our greatness. Yeah. And the stuff you're doing now, it's like you're showing your your, your true greatness through all of these trials and tribulations and now you're making an impact in a much different way, right? I'm I'm hoping so. Yeah. I, I really am. I'm really hoping that if I could save one person who's thinking about taking their life like I did, yeah. to me, then it's been worth everything that I've gone through. For sure. So let's talk about that. Let's talk okay. about what are you doing. Obviously, we mentioned the podcast, The Other Side of Addiction. Let's talk about that and what your goal is with that. And then, you know, if you have any other things that you're doing. So... What was the change, and then what have you decided to start doing moving forward? So the change basically was the communication, the way I was communicating okay. with, with my wife. Also, one of the biggest factors was I finally decided that it was time for me to move forward in my life. You know, I needed to take control of my life because I spent, especially the last four years, being a part of my wife's life. You know, I was right. always trying to catch her drinking. I was always looking for booze. I, everything, my life consumed, consumed the you. addiction. That's exhausting too, you know? right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just mentally draining me. And yeah. once I decided to get on with my life, it's, it's like, you know, when, when you get on a flight to go somewhere and they're starting to taxi out of the, out of the area and you get the flight attendants that get up to go over the safety procedures. You know, when, when it talks about if they lose cabin pressure, the masks fall down, and they say, always put it on yourself first, first right. before you help yeah. your child or somebody else. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a reason for that, because how can you help somebody if you can't take care of yourself? Yeah. Well, I wasn't taking care of myself. Yeah. All I was trying to do was take care of her, and her battles were my battles but I finally woke up and said okay her battles are her battles she has to fight them mm -hmm. I will be there to help her as much as I can but I'm not going to let it consume me yeah anymore so I started changing the way I communicated with her and I started taking over my own life 
in the way I wanted to go. But before I got to that point in February of 2020, I decided I was going to become a speaker. I wanted to speak and get up and share my story. And I did a talk out at Copper Hills High School for a class. And then I was invited to talk at a luncheon at a Murray Chamber event. Oh, cool. And I was getting some really good reviews coming back, even though I've not had any experience. But I was just being me. Just being you know, real. Just like we are right now. Exactly. Just being real. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> That's awesome. you know, um, yeah, there were times I, right in front of, you know, 30, 40 people, I broke down, started crying, and I apologized at first. And people were like, no, because you had us in tears as well. We yeah. know what you felt. For sure. You're really feeling. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, COVID hit and kind of put a, a damper halt that. on those things yeah <laughs> but that's where i'm heading at right now and and for cool. a year i've had the idea of a podcast um i met i met a young uh well she's not a young lady she's the same age as me but uh, we met on facebook and, and on my facebook page i put a lot of positive affirmations sure. and things right. out there. i've been doing it for about four or five years and she reached out to me and she goes hey i like what you're saying and I'd like to meet you, and and we met for coffee. She drove all the way down from Ogden, and oh, we wow. met for some coffee. Yeah, and she started sharing her story, mm. and she just hit six years sober oh, about right four or five months ago, cool. and she had gone through a pretty terrible life. But she goes, "Yeah, I, I want to be a speaker, share my story," and I'm mm-hmm. like, "Well, so do I." And then I'm like, "Yeah, I'd really like to get a podcast going," and she goes. So would I. <laughs> so we started kind of bashing heads a little bit and throwing some ideas. And then um, as 2021 was coming up, I finally just said, you know what? I don't care what's going to happen. Um, we're going. We're just gonna I do got it. a hold of her and I says, how do you feel about it? She goes, let's do it. So <laughs> I, I started it. reaching out to people, started taking some online classes. And, you know, some people want a lot of money to help you do the thing but luckily I know some really good people and I'd reach yeah. out to them and they're like you you don't need to do that right you know and but uh luckily I ran into this gentleman and we met for coffee and I sat down and he goes I've had people come on my show before and they turn it into an AA meeting and I don't want an AA meeting yeah but he says what you have he says I think we can we can take this somewhere. And he goes, what's your main priority for it? And I says, to help other people who have been in the same boat exactly. that I've been in. Right. And he goes, I will do whatever I can to help you. And again, that was another favor that for God sure. God gave yeah, me. And I love it. So that's that's where I'm heading. I'm, I'm okay. taking the, the pain and, and the heartache, and hopefully I can start speaking again and getting out there and sharing my story yeah. and also sharing what I have been learning on the communication skills so I can help other people learn how to get their life back. Yeah, I love what you said. And that's, and again, well, I love what you're doing. Um, but I love when you said what changed is you learned to communicate the right way t- towards your wife. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people need to hear that. Like, what does that look like? What does that sound like? And I know... You know, that could be a whole nother podcast in and of itself, because I think people don't know what to say. 
Yeah. And it's kind of like you were hurt. And what did you do? You came home and you thought you're doing good, but you're throwing daggers. Didn't really realize it because you're hurting too. Mm -hmm. But I love when you said I had to also take care of myself. And I think that's a key point in someone who's dealing with a spouse or a loved one who's going through this. You do have to take care of yourself. You just do. And I know it's hard. And then learning to communicate the right way to what they're going through. You know, I love that was such a key point that you said just a minute ago that I loved. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's, um, as, and it's funny because as I started taking care of myself, the communication actually came through the back door and I didn't even know it was coming through the back door. Right. <laughs> you know, um, so when my wife uh, got out of detox again, um, she had some health issues. The last time she drank, she did some really bad damage to herself. And, and thank goodness she's gotten past that. Her health oh, has, has gotten good again. Good, yeah. But, um, I allowed her to be back underneath my roof under certain rules. Yeah. And it, it was, it was kind of weird because about the second or third week that she was back home, she came up to me and she goes, can I give you a hug? I said, yeah, you can give me a hug. And she looked at me and she goes, you've changed. I said, well, what do you mean I've changed? She goes, you're, you're different. Mm. She goes, you're talking to me differently. And she goes, and you have just moved on with your life. And I don't know if I like that. And I says, well, I've got to move on with my life yeah. because I was thinking about taking sure, my life sure. because of this. Um, and, and the communication skills that I learned, I, I learned a lot of like I statements. So I, you know, three or four weeks afterwards, um, I remember um, I came home one day and I told her, I says, you know what? I really like it that I've been able to come home and you're sober. I really like who you are Yeah. when you're like this. You remind me of this person that I fell in love. It was, right. you remind me of, you know, instead of going, why are you this way? You, or, you, 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 it's, it's about me. And she would make comments with things. And then I would say, you know what? I understand why, or I may not understand why you said this, but this is how it makes me feel yeah. when you make this kind of comment. Yeah. And those just changing your words around just a little bit. Yeah. All of a sudden she started changing and I wasn't even trying. Right. You know, I wasn't trying to be this knight <laughs> in shining armor to save yeah. her. It was just happening. Sure. And little by little, I mean, she hits... She hits four months sober this Friday. Oh, congratulations. I'm so I proud it. of her. Yeah. But uh, I've learned so much, you know. Mm. Um, one thing that I did wrong to kind of go back to that is sure. um, I've got a, a friend of mine um, who has, um, we were at a network group, and he come up and he says, I want to show you this because I know you'd appreciate it. And he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out this coin, and it's a five-year chip. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, you just hit five years. And he goes, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God gosh, that is so cool. Congratulations. And you know how when they pass it around, you rub it. Yeah, Everybody you rub rubs it, it you know, and yeah, you know, you get, power the, to me. you get the mojo going. <laughs> yeah. And I gave it back to him and I said, yeah, I remember when my wife hit her first year and I says, I went and bought her a chip and I gave it to her. But when she started drinking, I took that chip away from her. I'm like, you don't deserve this. And he looked at me with, I, I mean, I literally thought he was going to headbutt me, but he's <laughs> like, he goes, you took it away. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, you don't ever take a chip away. 
whether she started drinking or not, she earned that 13 months sober or that 12 months sober, or that three months sober, the six months. She earned it. He says, I got a drawer full of three-month chips and six-month chips and nine, you know, I've got drawers full of them. So he says, you don't ever take it away. So that evening when my wife came home from work, I apologized to her. I says, I was so wrong to take that chip away from you because you earned it. And she goes, I have been trying to get you to understand that for how many years now? Right. But as she wasn't listening to me, I wasn't listening to her either. Yeah, wow. So that's a powerful story. Yeah, that it hit me hard. Yeah, Yeah. because again, it's earned. I mean, it's it's you know, just because there's a relapse doesn't take away the good that happened in that 13 months or that year or whatever it was, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Because she worked her she worked her behind off for sure to to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No blood, sweat, and tears, man. I'm telling you. Yeah. Dang, that is powerful. So your podcast is called The Other Side of Addiction. Mm-hmm. How can people find this and how can they learn more about you? What's the best way for them to, to get a hold of you? Um, they can find the podcast on Resilience Talk Network. Okay. They're on Spotify. They're on Facebook. They're on YouTube. I mean, they're on all the, all the platforms mm-hmm. out there. Right. Um, I also have a Facebook page that's called AR the other side of addiction or you can find it by going at mr al richards okay and i put stories up there um i post like affirmations and then i'll put comments underneath it i just posted our first episode on there congratulations um, yeah yeah dude, that, i mean that's no small feat dude no it's it's that's not awesome. it's not and i hope it works for everybody i've had a few people <laughs> say that they couldn't get the the link to work right but um uh, it it'll be getting better as we're as yeah. we're working through the kinks and we're growing. So, which I, I'm sure you know. Oh yeah, I laugh. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. I've done a whole podcast without hitting the record button. <laughs> like the whole thing was done. We're like, okay, that was great. And I look over. Well, we uh, that was a good conversation. Can we come do this again? Yeah. I mean, so yeah, it's like you'll have those moments. But uh, yeah. I love what you're doing, Al. I think it's well needed, especially with the angle you're coming from. I think we need more of that. We do hear a ton of people who have been through it themselves and how they've overcome, but it's great to hear someone like you who's been, like you said, the other side. Yeah. You know, and yeah. in your perspective, in your view, and, and really, like you said, both of you are suffering. You're both going through a hard time. Yeah, the addiction is, is it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's got us both. It's got you both. Yep. And so, yeah, that's just beautifully said. Well, um, so future plans are to get back, you know, do more speaking, obviously do more podcasts. Anything else on the horizon for you? Or is that just kind of where you're focused that's, right now? That's really, that's really where my passion okay. is at. Um, they can also reach out to me on, on email, which is oh, just yeah. Mr. Richards at gmail.com. Very, very simple. Um, I was lucky and fortunate enough to be able to have the the uh, Mr. Al Richards for the Facebook and the Instagram That's cool. page to yeah, also usually those have are it gone, as a right? Gmail, right? Yeah. So it works out really good. Mr. But, Mr. Um, Al Richards at gmail.com. Yep, Mr. Al Richards okay. at gmail.com. Well, one, I mean, one last thing I want to ask you, if there's someone listening to this right now who is on the other side and they're struggling, they're not sure what to do, they're stuck and they're, they don't know how to communicate, they don't know how to do this. What's, what's some advice? You've already given some really good advice, but that one person that's listening to this right now that's like, man, I need some help, what would you tell them? I would tell them, find a, a friend or 
I'm sure even if you Google, there's there's places out there, but find somebody that you can actually sit down and, and share your story with and, okay. and get it out there to, to release it. Because that really helped me. It, it didn't take everything away from inside, mm-hmm. but it took a big heavy load. But it helped. Off of me, yeah. yeah. It, it really helped. And, and again, find somebody who is there to listen to you, not as... I heard this in a class. People don't like to be shit on. You know, yeah. don't, you should do this. Should don't they, don't let yeah. people say you should do this, you should do that because they don't understand mm-hmm. what you're going through either. Just like we don't understand what the person who's battling the addiction. Exactly. So find somebody that will sit and listen to you. And, you know, I'm not a therapist, but uh, if you feel like wanting to reach out to me, I also have some connections right. um, that... I really believe that could be a big help. Right. Um, it's it's free. They will actually give you um, a book and a workbook that actually walks you through scenarios. I was in a class last night on a Zoom class and walked through it, and the stuff they were talking about last night, I mean, I shoved a lot of stuff in the back of my head, <laughs> yeah. but man, did it bring on some triggers. So I bet it's just not the person who battles addiction that has triggers. We have triggers right, as well. Right, for sure. And I was getting a ton of those triggers yesterday, and I was marking off all kinds of things. So, wow. you know, um, that's the advice I could give them. Just get out Love there, it. release it, don't hang on to it, do not be embarrassed. Please just do not be embarrassed. If family members don't understand, I have some family members that don't understand, that's okay. That's them. All that matters is is me, what's going to help me. I don't need them to understand if they if they don't get it because there are people out there that are willing to listen and help. No, oh, I love that, Al. That's great advice. I you know, I love that. Just reach out to someone, share your story with someone cuz just by talking can make you feel so much better. Just like, you know, you sitting down with some people that have pulled you aside, come talk to me, that kind of thing. And couldn't agree more. I love it. Well, I love what you're doing, Al. I love that uh, you're so passionate about it and obviously so because of what you've been through and you really are going to be a great influence for good. You already are, but it's just going to grow. And I'm grateful to have you on this podcast to share your story with us. And thank you for being willing to take the time and be vulnerable with your story with us. Well, Todd, thank you. Thank you for, um, allowed me to be on your show Absolutely. and and I'm going to give you a little plug too so oh, okay <laughs> your book I am recovered an amazing amazing book you had me in tears oh, reading that book and I have actually shared that um a few times talking with people and I thank believe you. I we even brought that up last week in our podcast oh really about it yeah oh, and, wow. and what kind of okay. changed your path as right. well so yeah thank you for that book because I know your book has probably helped a ton of people and Thank i gotta you. get your other one Stuart, yeah i'll have to read that one yeah now. i've actually got it got it here i'll give it to you oh that I'll is awesome yeah yeah because <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got your other one dog-eared and highlighted all <laughs> over the place of things yeah. that really touched me so yes right on so thank you thank you for what you're doing as well i appreciate um, it yeah yeah just amazing well it's great to rub shoulders with you and get to know you better and it's just interesting. We have we have a common background, and it just almost like a brotherhood, right? I feel yeah. like I feel really close to you right now, and so thank you. And I'm I'm just grateful that I, I can't wait to see where you go, and I I'll help you every step of the way. Anything I can do to help you pursue and help you get to where you need to be, I'm happy to do that. Thank you. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you okay. so much. You betcha. 
Well, folks, there you go. Thank you for joining in once again. Please reach out to Al and, and check out his podcast. And, you know, if you have a question for him, shoot him an email and he'll be happy to help you. He's that guy that's uh, not, not afraid to listen. And also he'll give you some really good advice. So please reach out to him. And again, I'm grateful to have him on and I'm grateful for all of you. I love you guys. Your support is just overwhelming. I have so much gratitude right now. I love you. And then for those who are listening to this who are suffering, please, please reach out. Please find some help. I'm here for you. Al's here for you. And we'll do whatever we can. If we can't help you, we will guide you to the people that can. And and we're all in this together at at the end of the day. So anyway, love you guys. And until next time. Thanks, Al. Thank you.